One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Happy Monday. It's us again. I'm here. Mark's there. How are you? In good spirits. Thank you, Michael. The weather's getting better gradually, isn't it? The uh... You had to think about that one, though. There was a bit of a pause. It's because there's no doubt about it. The weather's improving so slowly that it, it does feel a bit like... Uh, you, you say know... improving. I'm in the northeast. We had snow, hail, rain and bright sunshine all in one day yesterday. And guess which time I went for a run? Um, I'm going to be optimistic. During the bright sunshine. <laughs> Sadly, you're wrong, but we're going to move on swiftly. I uh, regret bringing up the weather. It's not an appropriate conversation to have with someone that's far north as you, and also it's very yeah. difficult to generalise, as you say, because it's very weird at the moment. I just am somebody, you might as well know this about me, Michael, I'm somebody that's almost disproportionately affected by sunshine and by weather. I'm one of those guys, you know. So actually, when you ask me how I am, I will often say, well, it's sunny outside. I, I've realised this about myself. It's a medical condition, isn't it? Yes. SAD. I need to be treated with a lot of love and respect. You're right. <laughs> he is not the place. Anyway, someone who we did treat with love and respect was the wonderful guest we have this week, who is Sophie Hagen. How are you doing, Sophie? Are you well? I'm okay, yeah. I just have a, a dog that's healing from yeah, there he is. surgery. There he is. Oh, bless so him. He's got this inflatable donut around his neck. Like, is that like a travel pillow? <laughs> it's like a. It's like instead of a cone, you know, right. the lampshade mm. thing. It's a less shameful looking version of that. Please just stop crying. Recording a podcast on Friday was... He just had this whimper in the background and it was not ideal. Well, if he starts to whimper during, can you clarify that it's not you that's whimpering? Unless you are whimpering, in which case... Yeah, sometimes we, do. <laughs> we sometimes make our guests sob a little I'm bit. I'm going to use that whatever I do. <laughs> it's the dog crying, not me. <laughs> that was the dog that farted. <laughs> uh, Sophie Hagen is, well, she'll be known to many people listening. She's a very close friend and colleague of mine and a person of many parts. Oh, biologically or...? <laughs> no, uh, normal parts biologically many parts psychologically and it's uh, that that we're going to focus on including influencer which is one of the few titles that we can safely give her i also like that you call fellow comedians colleagues but we'll talk about that later um and let sophie get involved now well it was certainly a good one so this week mark's here i'm Thanks, talking Frank. yeah sorry. <laughs> I actually always am here. I just don't, I sometimes go a bit quiet. And yeah, well, ditto, ditto. Anyway, we're both here. We are both present in the same room, which is pleasant for us. But on our screens, we have the wonderful Sophie Hagen. Hello, Sophie. Could you describe who you are, please? Uh, yes, I am a stand-up comedian, author, podcaster. I am from Denmark. That's the accent, <laughs> the weird accent you can hear. But I've lived in London in the UK for about, I mean, almost a decade. Oh, my God. 
And um, today I just realized how old I am because I found a, uh, there's an album called like, now that's what I call old songs. And it's like TLC, no scrubs. Just songs, yeah. <laughs> it's like TLC, no scrubs. And I'm like, that was my childhood. That's a very good song. And then song. it's like Brandy and Monica, The Boy is Mine. It's like my childhood. And then it's like Frank Sinatra. I'm like, hang <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> so now we're just all grouped together in like olden times, like the 1900s. A lot of people in the 20s talk about music as if, as you say, like it could be Dean Martin or it could be Blur. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Sophie Hagen, old person, is how you would now introduce yourself. Very old, yes. And also an influencer, an influencer on social media. Oh yeah, hashtag influencer, <laughs> yes. What was it you influencing last week? Was it a dating app that you were influencing? I mean, in a way, everything I do is influencing. Are you influencing us right now? A bit like Jesus. I think I am. Like, do you not feel like bettering yourself? I have already asked you about your glasses. So. I'm going to go and seek out a natural geodon. <laughs> Well, do I have a promo code for you? <laughs> I'll swipe up immediately, just as soon as I've worked out how to do things like that. So, as you know, Sophie, this podcast is about examining masculinity from within and without and on top and underneath and all that sort of stuff. And the first question that we always go into uh, every interview with is, um, what was your... How's this sentence going I can't, you, I can't get the words out. I think yeah. I'm so intimidated by the influencing. And this happens, yeah. <laughs> She started to influence you to not speak English as a first language, just like her. I'll be speaking a fluent Danish by the yeah. end of the episode. Um, what was your first brush with masculinity? When do you remember realising that masculinity was a thing? I have thought about this so much because for a long time I couldn't remember anything from before, you know, becoming aware of feminism when I was like 22. But then I, rem- I was in the shower and I remembered being, I'll say, eight years, nine years old. Uh-huh. And I was playing with my friend who was in my class. He was uh, living in this farm opposite my my house. That's how I grew up, <laughs> very small town. So he was living in this farm and I would go to his and play. And we'd have a lot of fun games. Like um, we would watch an episode of Dawson's Creek and then write down all the the dialogue and then do it with each other. It's very fun. And, <laughs> Our people um, still would do that now and have fun with it, I'm sure. <laughs> did you have to stop and start or did you watch the full thing and then go back to transcribe? It must have been recorded on VHS right. and then go back and then pause. I once did it with half of Titanic as well. Which half? The first half because I was intending on doing the whole thing. Right. There's not as much speaking at the end of it. It's more like screaming yeah. and water <laughs> slushing and the stuff. The first half is maybe easier to replicate. It gets traumatic towards the end. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so we also had a game where we would um, wait by the side of the road. And then when a car would come, we would run across the street. And then it was about who could stay on the other side for as long as possible before we ran back, before the car had passed. So we would run in front of cars. <laughs> A lot of fun. It was yeah. Denmark sounds great. Kids, you don't know what it was like back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how we had fun. We didn't have phones. We had to run in front of cars. Yeah, exactly. One of the big things that comes up a lot is media. Lots of people's first impression of, of masculinity is media. And Dawson's Creek, you say, came to mind. What in Dawson Creek sort of do you remember being? Wow, that's such a capable way of getting me back on track. Thank you so much. That was Thank so you. beautiful. Michael I has was some like, wow. quite underrated podcasting <laughs> skills. Yeah, he's very, very gentle, but he's also a policeman when he needs to be. <laughs> I, and I do have an answer to that. However, I will just get to the yes, actual of course. point. We'll, we'll, pin, we'll pin it. <laughs> um, I remember playing with him. We played every day because we lived near, near to each other. And there was one day where at school he was I said something like oh do you want to play after school and he said no and he seemed very weird about it and then the next time I saw him 
I was like, what was that about? And he was like, well, you know, obviously I can't play with girls. Huh. Like the other boys can't know that I play with girls. And like, I had no idea that that was a thing. Yeah, right. I couldn't, under- I was like, but why? It just didn't make any sense to me because I couldn't see that there was a difference basically between our genders or our supposed genders. Yeah. And to link it to what you asked about Dawson's Creek, I related so hard with Joey who was um, Katie Holmes, because her character was such a, I don't like the word, but like a tomboy. You know, she wasn't like wearing makeup and she would wear jeans and she would climb into his bedroom and, you know, she was into the movies the same way as Dawson was. So I just, I felt like, oh, that's me. Like my dream was to wear jeans so I could put my hands in the back pockets and like bite my lip the way she did. Because that's what she would always be like, at least in the beginning of the... I wish they could see you doing it because it's very accurate. It's exactly like Katie Holmes. I I get that a lot. (laughs) So there was, I think that was, must've been around the time when I became aware that people looked at boys and girls differently mm. and that perception i suppose that people put on to boys and girls when they're younger as well is is how you learn that i mean the perception that boys shouldn't play with girls it isn't an intrinsic thing probably to your friend either it's put on you how did kind of becoming aware of how the world saw you how did that impact your sense of who you were or did it it did so what's sort of strange about my upbringing was that my my mother is as close to <laughs> genderless as you can be right you know she would like, only wear men's clothing and only ever talked about how you know it was practical you know this she didn't care at all about looks there was no makeup she didn't care about you know her hair or bras or you know and she was a single mother so there was never any talk about men you know dating and any of that you know the movies we would watch you know she didn't really think that I should watch Disney because it was boring to her. Mm. So we would watch, you know, Armageddon and The Rock and all these Bruce Willis films and The Simpsons. And uh, so it was, I I don't remember at any point being told, oh, you are a girl and you should like this and you should, shouldn't sit like that and you shouldn't do this or that. It was very much, you are just a person and we don't even talk about gender because it's not a thing. Mm which I think is quite rare, obviously, like from hearing other people talk about their upbringing in terms of gender. So, I mean, of course, I must have learned very subliminally through the media, as you said. But in terms of how I was treated, I don't think I really understood it until I was a teenager when suddenly me being a girl became a thing and suddenly it would be you know, I was hanging out with my friends and suddenly they would hang out on their own and it would be, a, oh, but it's a man's night. And I couldn't understand why that was a thing because we were, would hang out and it would be fine. So, yeah, when I was a teenager, I began to feel... It was almost like I was being pushed into this box. Like, you are, you are a girl, you're a woman. And that just felt very uncomfortable because, well, I know now that it was because I wasn't. Yeah. But at the time, I just felt, oh, Oh, if I'm a woman, I'm, I don't feel like I'm doing this right. You know, I'm, I'm very bad at being a woman. I, I don't really see myself in this role. The word woman, the word girl feels wrong. It's not that men or boy felt right either. It just, the fact that there was a label just, I couldn't really reconcile with that. For about a decade, it was just me thinking, Oh, I guess I'm this girl and 
I, I'm not good at it. Mm. Yeah. We've had quite a lot of male or at least assigned male or we've had men on the podcast often talk about the same experience from the opposite point of view, experiencing masculinity as a thing which they didn't fit into, uh, didn't recognise and just uh, jumped to the inevitable conclusion that they're just not very good examples of it. And the various guests we've had have negotiated that uh, difficulty in loads of different ways, some of them by opting out of the kind of gender binaries, some of them by, well, in all sorts of ways. But your way, well, your path is interesting because you talk about not really knowing or acknowledging a difference between, you know, boys and girls and stuff very early in life and then feeling as if woman wasn't a tag that really suited you very well. But publicly distancing yourself from the idea of being a woman has happened well while I've known you and I've only been friends with you for although it seems a very long time it's only about five years so <laughs> jumping it ahead in the timeline a bit here I mean because I've never asked you this actually even though we talk about everything was there a specific moment where you thought that wow, woman is not me and also I want that to be a, a matter of public record because I said to Michael the way I found out and I'm one of your best friends, is from your newsletter. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, you never directly said it to me, and nor should you have, <laughs> but it, it became a thing that you were talking about in your professional capacity and, you know, in your influence capacity, and we just didn't talk about it. And Anyway, I want to know if there was a specific epiphany in the time I've known you, or if it was just, it is time people knew what I have already been thinking for ages, or what? Yeah, so when I did Comedy Central's Roast Battle, mm. if you look that up, I am wearing leggings under a dungaree dress a pineapple silk shirt my hair is like bleached at the bottom of it and i have i mean it's a mess it, i look like a mess and after that my manager had to have a very serious chat with me about my look and he was like you don't have a style you know you see you wear something different every time i see you and like he did this whole manager thing of being like, you need to have a look so people recognize you and blah, blah, blah. And that was the first time I'd really thought about clothing as anything other than can I fit into it or not? Mm. So I was like, oh, wow. So I started looking through my phone, thinking of like <clears throat> what, like looking at photos of myself, trying to think like, what did I, did I enjoy wearing that? Did I enjoy wearing that? To try and find out what my sort of style was. And as I was looking through it, I was like, I didn't like wearing any of this. And it was all dresses. I've been wearing dresses for, at this point, like a decade. Because it's easy when you're fat. You know, it just sort of covers the stomach and most of it's stretch. And, you know, there's this whole thing about, you're not allowed to wear trousers when you're fat because it makes the stomach look more obvious, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, hang on. I feel really uncomfortable wearing dresses. And I had no idea. And I bought some trousers a while back that I'd never worn. So I tried to put them on and there was just this feeling of like, oh. I, I mean, I do remember this. I remember you almost overnight becoming obsessed with trying trousers on, but I, I didn't realise that it was an important milestone in a wider, you know, process for you. Well, it's it's very cliche because obviously there's no such thing as women's and men's clothing. Everyone can wear the same thing and, da, 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 you know, yes. cis men and men and men can wear dresses and da 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 da, da. But for me, whenever I would dress up as a boy at like school plays or costume parties or whatever, I remember thinking, like, imagine how lucky some people are that they get to dress like this every day. Right. Oh, it's a paradise. <laughs> you know, it, how lucky it would be to just like, have this not be a costume. So realizing that I didn't like dresses felt like 
oh, that was the costume. Yeah. Like, that was me pretending. And so many years of that, so long. Oh, to come to that forever of that. I was just never even been, been present in, in knowing that. And that must have been, I think, I don't know, a year, six months or something before I then met Jody Mitchell, um, my friend Jody Mitchell, who's non-binary. And I believe they came out as non-binary whilst I knew them. And again, I sort of looked at it from a distance being like, good for them. That is mm. interesting. Then I got to know uh, Travis Alabanza. A previous podcast guest, yes. Yeah, they were brilliant. Just to tie things up satisfyingly. Who we've all had on all of our podcasts. Yes. <laughs> all right, Sophie, we were quite pleased. <laughs> we felt special at the time, yeah. And uh, it was a couple of days before New Year's Eve. Mark, you won't be able to remember this. But I went to your house a few days before New Year's Eve, or maybe it was the day before, I don't remember. But at some point, one year, and I was wearing a red dress, and that was the last time I wore a dress. And I remember that because I thought, well, you know, now I'm going out in public, so I should wear a dress. Well, not in public, I was going to your house, but, you know. <laughs> I'm a member of the public, though, to be fair. <laughs> it, technically, yeah. Not everyone accepts me, but I am. <laughs> and I was super uncomfortable like wearing that, it was like wearing something that was too small or, you know, that just didn't fit you. I do remember the dress, by the way. I remember the dress in question. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I pay more attention to you than you think. <laughs> well, you pay more attention to me than I do, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, a couple of days later, I checked my Instagram and Travis had posted a video where they were talking about being non-binary. And I had a DM or a comment from someone that said, you're such a beautiful woman. And... There was just something that snapped. It didn't feel right. Mm. I mean, it never felt right. Well, no, it never it felt right. That. But there was something about that moment of the clash between having just watched this Travis clip, and I left a voice message to Travis saying, "I, I, I'm not, I'm not a woman. I'm not a woman." <laughs> and it was, I mean, it must have been like it's 15 minute voice message, just being like, "I don't, I, I think I'm not a, I'm not. No, no, I know I'm not. Am I? Is this how it's meant to feel? Am I? Is this?" A, and Travis obviously came back with the most poetic and beautiful answer. Yeah. And that was sort of when I knew and it felt like such a relief. But it from then on to the time I told the public was there was a, a lot of time between then and yeah. I already felt like I was a bit too much on the internet. <laughs> I was already, you know, an angry fat feminist, you know. And I was like, oh, if I'm gonna go out there and be like, and also I'm yeah. also not a woman. I felt like people were going to think it was a like a cry for attention. And that was the opposite. Like I didn't necessarily want any attention. I don't think I've ever heard you worry about being too much on the internet. I think I was worried about it from like a industry perspective. So uh, I didn't, okay. Like I'd, I think I'd heard a lot of people say, you know, oh, the activism thing or the, the yeah. fat stuff is only a way to get media attention because I I would have tweets that would go wildly out of control and yeah. <laughs> but that was never a good thing that never you know helped my career i'm interested in kind of waking up the next day after you had that wonderful voice note like message from travis how did that affect how you were the next day like you've kind of come to this realization you wake up and presumably with some sort of hangover because it feels like you've kind of had this emotional hangover from 20 years worth of stuff like what yeah what did the next days and weeks look like for you the thing that's so strange about it is that nothing actually changed right because I've always been this person, hmm. it was more 
Uh, this is going to sound so wanky, but it was... I love answers that start <laughs> with, you're going to hate this answer. And yeah. that's basically what you just we said. We get it a lot. It's because we, we book, <laughs> you know, quite reflective, emotionally intelligent people who are constantly horrified at the things that they're about and to say. And if I don't last. say this is going to sound wanky at least once a day, it's not been a day. <laughs> and sometimes you're right to say it, Michael. <laughs> Given all these caveats, hit us with this sentence, Sophie. <laughs> it's like a mirror that has been dirty forever and you just sort of gotten accustomed to it. And then you clean it and you can see. Mm. Like the first time I wore glasses and I realized that, oh, the whole world is not meant to be blown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was how everyone saw things. It turns out objects are quite solid and defined. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've had that as well. But it had always been me. And it was what I lost was the guilt and shame and feeling of being a failure. Mm. That was gone because like, I'd been trying to be a thing that I wasn't for so long. It was the same feeling I had when I realized that it was me being fat wasn't a bad thing. Mm. It was this feeling of, oh my God, my whole life I've been trying to ignore this and not be this, but just acknowledging that I am. Yeah. It's just this relief. Sounds like a breathe like, out. You're literally doing it all the time, but yeah. it's like a breathe out finally of, of not realizing you were holding your breath. Yeah, exactly. It's it's hard. It's always so hard to describe. Yeah. Uh, and, about six months before it happened, Jody Mitchell was at one of my shows and I ended up giving them a, a spot on my show and they did a a set. And then when they were finished with the set, they said something like, oh, uh, welcome, welcome to the stage. You're daddy, Sophie Hagen. And afterwards I had to go and say to them, why did that feel very good? <laughs> <laughs> why was I really excited that you said daddy instead of woman mother female whatever and you've gone on to use it quite a lot i notice like oh yes as a comic device but obviously it rests on something it makes you feel good in some way definitely and i love saying i'm being a good boy or you know i I love saying uh i'm a good guy because it feels like dragging it in the opposite direction yeah you know it's not that i identify as a man it's not that i am a man but there's something about pulling it so far away from yeah. woman. Compensating for the, the time that you were shackled by the word yeah. woman, which was a long time after all. There's a queer language yeah. where lots of gay men will refer to each other as she as well. And it's sort of about breaking mm. down that sort of barrier, I suppose. Uh, language is interesting because let's talk pronouns, Sophie. Mm. I mean, which pronouns do you use and why? Well, I use any, uh, like she doesn't feel right, but neither does they or he mm-hmm. like pronouns is just i don't really particularly care mm. they feels nice because it feels like people acknowledge that i am non-binary but she is also just fine what i don't like is people referring to me as woman girl right. female okay. uh, th- those are the words where i'm like that makes me dysphoric every time someone says woman or hi ladies or anything where i'm grouped in with women that f- that's where I feel dysphoric and I feel like this is wrong. And I imagine that feels like if you're both cis men, if someone said to you, woman, I feel, I think it would feel the same way of, oh no, oh, did you not see me? Like, yeah, I'm, got not, me but wrong. I'm here too. Yeah. 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 We talk a lot on this podcast, you know, about why uh, traditional male behavior, however that's defined, is the way it is. And you've just talked about how your old female feminine woman identity was a kind of incredibly long performance that you made yourself go through consciously or otherwise because you're one of the first assigned female birth guests we've had it's interesting to look at masculinity like michael said from the outside a bit how much and this is a pretty sweeping question of traditional man or male or masculine behavior 
do you think is a product of people forcing themselves into behaviours because they don't think there is an alternative? Because not many people come to a conception of gender still that is as fluid and uses as few kind of nailed down terms as you most people still don't see the world like that and how much of that is responsible for the kind of extremes of behavior we see do you think it's such a difficult one because if we imagine we can never really know can we because no so we can move on actually (laughs) (laughs) it is an unanswerable question philosophically but i'm just interested in pushing your brain it's like who would we be if gender wasn't a thing that's sort of what i'm asking and i know it can't be answered but it's interesting to talk about isn't it i mean it's something that i'm constantly trying to figure out in my own head in terms of how much of me is socialized how much you know would have been part of me however the world looked yeah how much is trauma how much is fatness how much is sexuality how much is you know like again clothing becomes such a cliche thing that that's the thing for me that really makes me feel it like if i wear something like a robe and then people will say nice dress suddenly i don't feel comfortable in the robe but if someone says nice robe i'm like oh yeah this feels good i'm like okay what is this and then someone you know often people who hate trans people will say oh, but is you being non-binary about internalized misogyny, that you actually hate women and that that's why you don't want to be a woman. And part of me is like, well, I mean, maybe some of it is. Mm. Like, who knows where things come from and and how things would look if things were different. I mean, it's a real mindfuck. It is. That's why I put you into it, really, because I like I it. I like it when you're wrestling if, with things. Uh, if society had decided that men could wear dresses from the very beginning and that was how it was, would you still have that visceral response to that clothing? And we will never know that answer. Exactly. You'd have to start the universe again to answer these questions, essentially. But it is interesting to talk about all the same because the world is being reshaped by well, yeah, by this generation to some extent, like it always yeah. is. But that's another thing, especially this lockdown has really made me like value comfortable clothing, and I feel like. Most trousers are not as comfortable as, for example, dresses and leggings. Mm. And then I thought, well, what if I come to terms with my gender, like with being non-binary and I'm no longer as dysphoric around it, will I be able to wear dresses knowing that it's not a woman thing? (laughs) Question mark. Like, (laughs) I, I mean, probably because clothes isn't gendered and I am not a gender. So in theory, yes, but... Will I ever be able to be called woman without having a a strong emotional response because I just know and I rest in knowing that I'm not? Big question. Mm. All big questions, yeah. <laughs> Here is another big question. I mean, you've talked about the possibility that you have a sort of internalized misogyny in the same way that everybody does or everybody can because all of us have uh, numerous internalized preconceptions that we can't do that much about. But... um. To put this in the simplest possible terms, and you and I have had versions of this conversation in private, why is there so much misogyny still around us? Like, why is it so normalised still? Of course, society is not as sexist outwardly as it was 50 years ago, say, or 20 years ago. And I'm asking you because you've identified or at least manifested as a woman for a very long time. So you have an experience of misogyny, which a cis man sort of never can have. Yeah, it's interesting you said that it's not as sexist as in the 50s or whatever, because... That's not that long ago. Yeah, that's right. You know, that was our parents and our parents' parents. And stuff like this takes forever to get rid of. I mean, we're in our little bubble of people who understand, you know, gender queerness and feminism and that. But 
what we're being taught at school, what we're watching on TV, all of that is still from years and years and years ago. So there's a whole cultural thing, which is one aspect of it. You know, it's just still there in the same way as racism is still there and homophobia is still there, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one thing. Yeah, identifying it doesn't make it disappear overnight, obviously. You can't make things disappear overnight that are that entrenched. And then there's the struggle of comfort. You know, we like what we know, you know, and then we get scared of things we don't know. So anything that's new will cause a, a reaction, which is, I mean, as, we, as we've just seen, you know, feminism became a bit more of a thing. And then suddenly there were just neo-Nazis everywhere, you know, like it's, thing has an extreme reaction. Every action has an equal a opposite backlash, reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was the sentence that I didn't know. <laughs> I it's like, from Hamilton. I didn't write it myself. <laughs> uh, Sophie's familiar with Hamilton though. As Lin-Manuel Miranda would say, <laughs> feminism equals neo-Nazis. <laughs> Michael, I don't want you to find this out in the same way as I did. So I'm just going to tell you right now. Mark oh, no. knows Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's Mark? It's not really true. How have you not spoken to you about this before? Because I'm very self-effacing about my massive range of contacts and my importance, Michael. <laughs> but, uh, well, the very short version of events is that in 2006-7, I played all the Australian festivals with a sort of hip-hop improv group called Freestyle Love Supreme, one of whom was Lin-Manuel Miranda, the then non-famous version, of course. Why were you in the hip-hop group? Uh, sorry, when I say with, I mean, uh, firstly, I don't know why you look at me and think I wouldn't be able to rap or shouldn't. I was in a rap battle with them on one occasion, in fact. What? So and, you've uh, rapped against Lin-Manuel Miranda? They had a thing where they would bring an audience member up on stage and, you know, involve them in the games and stuff like that. And I was obviously known to them, so they chose me for fun. I mean, I, I I'm just you know, gazing like, at you like in disbelief that this hasn't come up. I know, well, right? Yeah. I knew him for years before I found this out. Yeah, if but, I knew Lin-Manuel Miranda, I wouldn't stop telling people about it. But this is the thing. I think I probably do have a complex about how unmemorable I am. But I'd be extremely surprised if Lin-Manuel looks back and thinks, dear old Mark Watson... <laughs> <laughs> because it, I've met people in, on consecutive weeks and they struggle to think who I was. Well, I've always recognised you. Oh, you're great, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's the dog, there's the dog. Oh, and Hank is here there's as well. A bit of everything. That wasn't Sophie, that was uh, <laughs> the dog, Hank. No, that was me. <laughs> I hadn't had enough attention for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Quite an extraordinary tangent from um, internalised misogyny, but we have managed it. Well, sometimes we do go off a tangent, but it's important to remember that the guest of this podcast is actually Sophie rather than me. <laughs> and uh, perhaps we should return to some aspect of her experience. I did quite enjoy co-hosting with Sophie for that short moment though that was lovely yeah it's about time I got to be on this podcast I'm amazing hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So we were talking about um, how every action has an equal opposite reaction. And that's why it's hard to make progress. Then there's the aspect of, well, money and control in terms of as long as we keep women and marginalized people, anyone who isn't the white, straight, cis, thin man, as long as we keep them from gaining more power, then there's going to be more power and money for the rich white men. Mm. I resent that you put thin into that first formulation, but there we are. Yeah, I don't know if thin was the right... Well, I don't know what you would actually call it, but I just mean like someone who's not fat. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely fair. Thin is a word for that, yeah. <laughs> I suppose a, a follow-up question is what... And I have asked versions of this question a few times on this podcast, but not everybody is an out-and-out activist. Not everybody has either your platform or your... Uh, I will say enormous courage to confront things that are going to make you miserable for a long time. <laughs> what ought an ordinary person, especially an ordinary person like me, from a bunch of historically privileged groups, what can and should we do to redress some of these imbalances in terms of just everyday life habits or whatever, really? First of all, sharing your platform, you know, being aware of who you hire, who you book, who you amplify, who do you retweet. You know, when people say, Who's your biggest inspiration? You know, in, in these boring interviews you do, and people say, "It's." I, I've noticed it a lot when you see, read interviews with comedians, and when they ask female comedians or black comedians or black female comedians, they will often suggest other people who are uh, women or black or trans, or mm. but usually white male comedians will just suggest other white male comedians. Yeah, and it's been. Let me think how to phrase this so I don't phrase it wrong. There is a, I believe she's a researcher called Sophie Williams, and she's looked into, it's not the glass ceiling, it's the, what's the opposite of the glass ceiling? It's a normal like, floor? Something concrete, cliff? Concrete floor? <laughs> it's called something cliff. Basically, it's about women in business and how women are used in business. The glass ca- cliff. Oh, it's the glass cliff. It was that simple. Again. Is it called the glass cliff? Apparently. TEDx London women. Yeah, that'll yeah. be it. I mean, maybe we should just play that instead of having me try and... <laughs> to be honest, a lot of the times our podcast could just be replaced by someone doing a more coherent TEDx talk, but uh, <laughs> we're clinging on to the idea of the brand. So this glass cliff idea. Okay. Education and awareness are the things that I think personally all men need to really put some effort into because there is so much that is subliminal implicit subconscious there's so much that you don't even know that you're doing yeah in the same way as us as white people or light-skinned people there's so much implicit that we do every single day that's racist that we're not even aware of and it's very hard to fix our behavior if we're not aware Mm -hmm. of how it you know stuff like um Well, it's common for white people to speak over and interrupt black people more than we would white people. Same with men and women, straight people and gay people, et cetera, et cetera. And as soon as you're aware of that, you start noticing that you do it and then you will hopefully stop. But not only do you stop, you also start being able to call it out in other people. The hardest part about being an ally, and it's not, you know, (laughs) you're definitely not the victim by being an ally, but it is worth acknowledging how hard it is asking your friends to not 
do something problematic. Yeah. It is so difficult. It requires courage. Yeah. Mm. Courage, but also just the willingness to ruin an atmosphere, to have people be mad at you, to risk them not wanting to invite you to the next garden party or whatever. Yeah, to leave a party moments after you've said something. Yeah, exactly. It is so hard. But if you can't see it, like I can feel when I'm in a group of people who have no idea. Like I know I can feel how I'm being talked to, how I'm not being listened to, how I'm not being included. And then if there's just one man in that group who has any awareness about the dynamics, the gender dynamics, he will make sure to go, oh, I think, well, that's exactly what Sophie just said. Mm, Right. Or, oh, Sophie, what do you think? You know, finding ways to bring me into the conversation because he sees that the men are just trampling over each other to get a word in we often ask guests which male or men role models they have and i think what could be quite interesting in this circumstance is thinking about what you've just been talking about about people who create space and that kind of thing without giving you too many answers to my question before i ask it um what men do you think just push through and answer it yourself and then we'll save (laughs) so for the trouble (laughs) what men do you think are good examples of what you're talking about or are there any that you know um Who's a man who's good at this? Or just a person, perhaps. Yeah, we normally frame it as role models, but it doesn't seem like the right formulation in, in this. In this context, Because no. of who Sophie is, basically, Someone yeah. who's good at doing it. Um, and the fact that it's taken this long tells its own story about men, uh, perhaps. <laughs> well, because I, I knew you were going to ask me about sort of which men had been role models in my life. So I was going through all the men in my life. Like I was like, oh, started with family, nope. None there. Teachers, nope. You know, friends of friends, no. (laughs) I just can't. Okay, this is what it is. I can easily think of men who are good for a man. Right. You know? Yeah. Who's like doing some. And that, because the bar is so low, then I'm like, oh, he's an amazing guy. He's never even raped me. Like, what's, how great is he, you know? Mm. But if I think about someone who's doing it, correctly who doesn't have a shred of toxic masculinity in them or any kind of oppressive nature i suppose that's impossible really exactly yeah for the reasons that we've already said yeah yeah but i think accepting they may be problematic are the people who embody qualities that you think that's a really good model of behavior i suppose well i i instantly think of they're not a man but it's it's just (laughs) if we're broadening it out to people someone like travis i mean often i feel like non-binary trans and queer people are i mean they're the people i feel the most safe with yeah and someone like travis is ideal because travis is super 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 educated so they know all about triggers and the psychology of you know trauma and the sort of socio-political bit you know in terms of whatever pronouns and social justice and you know all the gender dynamics and all of these things but at the same time they also hold space for humanity like space for being a human with flaws Mm. so i can be myself completely with travis because if i'm a problematic asshole they'll be like lol get it (laughs) sometimes i am too and if i have any questions about is this problematic they will be able to tell me but also hold space for the process and I think Travis is the best example. I'm also thinking about someone like Christelle Rasmussen, Tom Glitter. They're um, drag queen and non-binary and just the most beautiful person. Yeah, I think that's the someone who sort of holds space but is educated. It's because there's so much explaining you have to do to most men. 
that it's just extra emotional labor having to go, right, this is how you are a proper human being. And here are some books you should read, which they don't. I can't think of any cis men in my life that have done that work. All of the work. That's an answer in and of itself, it I really suppose. Is, and yeah. it sort of speaks to the need to educate and broaden horizons and think in new ways about things that aren't necessarily new. Were you conscious that you were thumping the table as you said a lot of that? Oh, no, was I? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just shows you how we all do things that we're not aware of. <laughs> Throwing an actual tantrum. But I will just say, I know loads of men, you included, like who want to and who are trying and who have the best of intentions... And also who just don't know where to start, you know, who might not be aware of how male their surroundings are, how much comes from the culture they're engaged in. And that's different from having done the work. There's also wanting to do the work and having the right values to the people who don't even acknowledge that it's necessary. Mm. Yeah, the podcast is a way of broadening that, that conversation yeah. to a lot of those people, I guess. Yeah. What you were saying about Travis was really interesting about how they are willing to acknowledge that they themselves are problematic. And I think a lot of what masculinity in its most fragile form is when people don't want to have got something wrong. Like, it's okay if someone says to you, that was wrong. And it's okay for you to go, oh, sorry. And then to continue with your day. It doesn't need to ruin your day. <laughs> it just needs to be that you were wrong. So how do you, <laughs> I mean, assuming you can speak on behalf of all men. As I do, often. We assume that all the time. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> What's your relationship from a masculinity point of view with criticism? Because having been socialized as a woman that's sort of just part of the everyday package of everything mm. about you is wrong and we will point that out. And from our point of view, men are so flawless, you know, like what we're being taught. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs> you do have very nice skin. Thank we've you. talked about that. <laughs> but it's like, you know, we don't really, we're not allowed to say no to men. We're not allowed to create a scene. We're not allowed to, you know, if women criticize men, you know, it's nagging and it's being a prude and a bitch. And so we're so used to criticism. And when we're being told, you're too fat or you're too this or you're too loud or you laugh too much or too little or whatever. We're used to being like, oh, yes, okay, I'm sorry, I'll change that for you now. But what's your relationship with criticism? Uh, I hear you. I actually, I self-criticize a lot. I'm very critical of my behavior and I think I've policed my behavior probably partly to do with my sexuality when I was younger, but I also think I am very defensive and I do take it to heart. And I think that's, yeah, I think I'd be lying if I said that if someone says that wasn't right, I don't go, well, you're not right. Like it, My first instinct is to push it back on the other person or to kind of resist that. And I genuinely do feel frustrated when I've done something wrong. But I think it's it's actually less about the other person and it's more about me, which is not novel um, as a concept. I don't think I often push it on the other person. I just internalise it and I feel a bit shit for the rest of the day. So if I get criticised, generally I will go, oh God, that must mean I'm awful. And I don't tend to push it out i just sit with it i'm not very good at letting it go i don't know about you mark you do know about me because i'm very similar to you i would also say that my impulsive response to criticism is yeah defensiveness of one kind or the other but again and in some ways i'm slightly atypical man my own bar of self-criticism is high mm. so I tend to hear criticism as a confirmation of negative things that I already believed about myself, which is not healthy, but maybe it's healthier than trying to turn it back on somebody else. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think probably uh, Sophie said that as a woman, you hear criticism as, well, an injunction to change, basically. I'm sorry, I'll do better, I'll change for you. And that also is how I have dealt with criticism for most of my life, basically. I've chased 
my personality from one piece of criticism to the other. Most of my life is about changing to try and please people more as a result of criticism. But I don't necessarily think that is true of that's perhaps not a very common male thing. How fixed and proud your idea of your own identity is obviously determines your approach to criticism in some ways. Is it different for you to be criticised by a man than a woman? I don't think so, no. I think I take criticism as criticism. It sounds so self-centred, because it's a lot more about me. I'm not that interested in the person who's delivering it. I'm more interested in what it is and how I manage that. So it feels a lot more self-centred. I I think the same. I honestly don't think so. I hear criticism from you, for example. I mean, when if we're calling you a woman briefly for the purposes of this question, or from other women, I would say that I have equal respect for the intelligence and viewpoints of women as I do to men. But all of these are questions, again, that we can't easily answer because we'd have to be able it's to... It's more of a better question to ask, I suppose. Of someone else. Not to criticise your question, yeah. Sophie, uh, <laughs> but to defend ourselves from your question. I, I would say it's actually more interesting to ask those around us about how they think we receive their feedback. Because yeah. Well, you can have the question for your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. After talking to Sophie for a while, and I've had this before, you do experience this every answer to a question you give after that you think but of course I would say that wouldn't I because well, of who I already am yeah but, but it's true it, comes, it is true and it comes back to this thing that it is nigh impossible to be objective about your own something that uh, popped into my mental mind mental preconditions while Mark was talking because I was listening of course no but I, I'm glad that you used the time to catch up with your own stuff as well <laughs> yeah, I, I do go on a bit just a bit of admin um, was complimenting men I think a lot of the time if I compliment a man they immediately brush it away they don't take it in and I was just thinking about I was thinking about the opposite, basically, of being criticised. If someone compliments me, I find it very hard to also accept that, which I think is interesting. Does that depend what kind of compliment, though? I mean, there's a difference between that table you build is really sturdy and then you have wonderful blue eyes. Well, I don't think I've ever built a table, so I can't relate to that question. And I don't have blue eyes either. So uh, in response to your question, no. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Both of us dream of a wall where someone would say that table you built is very sturdy, Sophie, but it's a distant dream. <laughs> Regular listeners will note we're now through the rabbit hole where Sophie is fully hosting the podcast and we are guests. (laughs) I like it. She's good at hosting podcasts. This is what happens. (laughs) Would you like to rest control briefly back and ask Sophie our traditional closer? Yes, our traditional closer. So that was genuinely interesting though. We should get you on for an episode to host an episode between the two of us. That would be great. That would be amazing. It would be fun. I think people would would like that. Yeah. Like couples therapy. Uh, The final question we always ask people is about... I frame it as a Build-A-Bear workshop. Are you familiar with Build-A-Bear workshops? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is you walk into a workshop, but it's not bears that you're building. It's men who can be bears in some communities. But in this (laughs) circumstance, you're building a man from scratch. What three qualities would you build into him to make him the best version of what he could be? So I've thought a lot about this because I obviously knew you were going to ask me this as a listener of the part. So basically... If you're thinking like from scratch, like you're building this man as a baby. There's nothing that I would put in a man that I wouldn't put in a woman or anyone else. Right. But yeah. like a living, breathing cis man, or I guess anyone who's been assigned male at birth, who is now an adult in this world, the three most important things would be therapy. Mm-hmm. To just be in therapy. Work on yourself. And I know that's super privileged and not everyone can afford it, etc. But you do earn, what, 20% more than us? So maybe spend that money on therapy. And the, <laughs> Noted. And the second thing, it's the acknowledgement or understanding, is again about education, of emotional labor. And I mean that both in how much the women or non-men around you 
do in terms of emotional labor. Women are so socialized to carrying their own trauma and everyone else's trauma and the general atmosphere of the room they're in. And so there's, that's one aspect of emotional labor. But emotional labor is also the sort of administrative labor. So there's this classic example of a helpful man will come and say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Not acknowledging that that also means the woman then has to go, right, okay, well, which groceries do we need? What are we cooking for dinner? Which is also work, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's sort of this acknowledgement of emotional labor and like the tendency for men to turn women into their mothers, you know? Right. And not really taking responsibility for the, the sort of shared. It's the thing about, you know, when men take care of their kids, their babysitting, and when women do it, they're just, you know, just doing what they should mm. be doing. So if you're trying to educate yourself on oppression or take racism, for example, if you're trying to learn about racism, take the onus of learning upon yourself rather than asking other black people to educate you or Asian people or That minorities. too, yes. That too. And just realising, you know, am I using uh, this person to right. listen to me because I subconsciously see them as someone who should? Yes, And, you know, exactly. how equal is this actually? You know, what am I putting on this other person that... It's actually a me problem. Right. And then the third thing would be just like a huge dick. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, talk, we talked about this before. It's not the first time this has yeah. been raised. What? Huge. By huge. Define huge. Here we go. Like we're talking third leg. Wow. Okay. So we spoke about it in inches previously. And Mark, the only reference point he had was to do it in the sizes of vinyls. Yeah, like a seven inch <laughs> record, a 12 inch record. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I, okay. So that would be. But like, Sophie um, won't have even grown up with inches because. No, but in the I, UK. I've uh, seen a record. So that would be, yeah. <laughs> I would say, probably 700 stacked, both in diameter and height. So oh your ideal, for want of a better phrase, dick, is so large that it's physically incapacitating for the person to wield it. It's an actual problem. Yeah, yeah. Like, have you seen an elephant's leg? Yes. Okay, know? right. I mean, there are a lot of questions if you try to visualise this, but I guess we have to do that work. Or, and that's to all of our listeners. <laughs> yes, I suppose. Gosh, I mean, that's, that's one to chew on, as it were. Thank you, Michael. No, but can I say an, a non, non-slightly transphobic jokey answer? But on a lighter note, someone who's willing to at least try pegging. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sophie Hagen, thank you very much. Honestly. Michael's gone. Michael's had it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Sophie. I think that's a sign of the best man, someone who's willing to try that. It was the earnest expression when I you thought, said it. That really... I mean it. I'm so serious about I feel about like this. I thought something like that was coming. I've seen that kind of uh, sucker punch from Sophie before. I mean, I mean, I was joking about the penis, but like, this is... You're not joking about this, I know you. Well, fair enough. I'm not enough. joking about this. Well, there we are. Mark, how, what, what do you want to say about that? Um... Join us next week. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I might text Lin Manuel and see what he makes of it. Right, you better thank Sophie and then go away and sort, of sort yourself out in whatever thank, thank way. Thank you, Sophie. You don't have to lie down now. Um, that was really wonderful. Thank you for joining us, Sophie. Thank Would you, you like to plug me. anything? Um, I have a podcast called Made of Human Podcast. I also have a podcast called Bad People, which is true crime. Uh, I'm doing online shows throughout the pandemic, and you can buy the ones I've already done on sophiehagen.com forward slash shop. And I'm also doing more online shows and I also have a newsletter and I uh, do comedy and I have... Um, oh God, oh, this is already not bad. So much. <laughs> SophieHagen.com. I have a website, SophieHagen.com and I'm all over Instagram and Twitter and TikTok as well and Facebook. And Sophie with an F, of course, be aware. Sophie with an F, yes. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us. Sophie Hagen. I'll see you really soon. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.
That was Sophie Hagen. And to return to your point about colleagues, um, I don't regard every comedian in the world as my colleague. We're not all in, in gigantic office tapping away at uh, jokes. It's just that we've done quite a lot of stuff collaboratively, including now, Mankind. Sophie was a brilliant guest. I really enjoy listening to Sophie. I listened to her pod- many, many podcasts. And so it was quite nice having her on the show. And um, yeah, really engaging. And I think one of the most challenging guests we've had. I don't think we've thought about ourselves quite as much in interviews before. Yes, it was a sort of lesson in podcasting for us, wasn't it? Yes, Talking of lessons in podcasting, we are doing a thing that lots of podcasters do, and we're launching a Patreon. Isn't that exciting? It's exciting for us, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what Patreons were before, but um, it's a way that you can help us keep the podcast running. We uh, are self-funded, and we pay our guests, which not all podcasts do, um, but we think it's really important. So we're hoping to keep doing that, and hoping that you will help us do that by giving us money well and money i guess yeah <laughs> your face went rigid at uh, having to complete the phrase giving us money but it does come down to that that is sort of what was as you say then michael i would go further than to say not all podcasts uh, pay their guests i've been on a great many podcasts and uh, podcasts that do pay their guests are to use the phrase as rare as hen's teeth so we are unusual in that regard and that's why i feel marginally less crestfallen than you at the idea of appealing for money but still marginally both of us hate this but we're bloody doing it the patreon should we talk about the levels of Patreon. Yes, we have three uh, levels. We have Menkind subscriptions, which are £5. We have Menkind subscriptions, which are £7. And Menkind Disc subscriptions, which are £10. But also, everybody's going to get the same content. We're, we're all about equality here. Um, so we're trying to keep it as even as we can. So please give what you can. Um, and that would be lovely. Oh, I feel so uncomfortable about money, Mark. Help. Yeah, you've made that perfectly clear, Michael. <laughs> we'll be lucky if we get even one subscriber to the Patreon. By the way, how can people... Uh, should they feel moved to do this despite all of your protestations how can people find the patreon it is at patreon.com forward stroke menkind podcast just like our social channels and our email address so please do go over there and uh, support us and if you can't give us financial support please support our egos and give us five stars on all of the apps if you've already done apple podcasts why not give us five stars on spotify as well there you go so basically we've groveled even more than usual to the listenership there <laughs> who's next week mark uh, well next week yes we are still doing a podcast we haven't just become <laughs> an appeals service well next week we have uh, and this is someone i wasn't very familiar with but you were and i really enjoyed it joe black i am merely a flesh vessel uh, of, uh you know that is powered by steam and spite and revenge oh who do you spite particularly this is today? a great intro by the way no one ever describes themselves as a flesh vessel in this series denise van outen oh. she doesn't know it and i've never met her but i've decided she's my nemesis what's she done nothing I just no 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 particular reason. I just just nice to have a nemesis, a high profile one. Just I, I needed to pick a nemesis, and I thought, Do you know what, she's pretty camp. I'll go with her. Joe Black is a really good friend of mine, and he was he looked fab. I mean, you won't be able to see it, but we really enjoyed the visual of of Joe lounging back in his chair in a pinstripe suit and bat wing sunglasses. And if visual content is what you're after, have we got a Patreon for you? See, that's how it's done, Michael. <laughs> Stop it, man. Stop it. Relentless up. hustle. <laughs> We can't all bake our way out of trouble, mate, on Instagram. (laughs) Well, we'll see you next week for Joe. And in the meantime, take care and look after yourselves. See you then. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.